Good morning, Sunnyway Church. I'm Kira. I'm so thankful to be gathering with you online this morning. Welcome to everyone gathering on our Sunday morning live platform, including those gathered in watch parties. And hello to those watching or listening later on in the week. A special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. Thanks for being with us this morning. We hope that even online, you get a sense of who we are and feel at home. I'm gonna talk through some information we share every week, and that's just to make your first visit a little easier. Hopefully it'll help you and everyone else know what to expect and how to engage if you're on the live platform. The live platform has some helpful options for you. You can share your information with us or update your information. There's also a tab to give, to take next steps, find previous messages, and share this message if you're watching or listening to this later in the week. You can do those things through our website. Also on the live platform, you can feel free to say hi in the chat or turn it off if it's distracting. You can also request prayer right on the platform and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. We know this year has been tough for many and life in general can just be hard, but you're not alone. If you have any questions, need assistance or prayer, or you know someone who does, we'd love to help any way that we can. Email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. We have resources available to go along with the message you're about to hear that will help you grow no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. They are crafted to go right along with the message you're about to hear. A few to note are the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, which you can sign up for on the Next Steps page of the website. We provide wallpaper images to remind you of the weekly application question, and we have a message just for kids. Our Centerway kids hear an engaging message from the same text we learn from. If you have kids in your home, talking about the message and application question is a great way to grow as a family. All the resources I just mentioned and more are available on our website. Our, our fall cycle of circles is in full swing, but we're providing another week to hop on if you'd like. There are five more Fridays if you'd like to sign up. If you don't know what circles are, check out the Next Steps page of the website, and there's a circles tab there with info and a way to join. Our kids have a circle at the same time, and student circles meet on Sunday nights. We're really excited to con keep connecting in this way. Now here's what to expect today. Adam will be reading the scripture text for us, then Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then you'll hear some ways to respond in worship. Immediately after the message, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now here's Adam with the text for today. Good morning, Centerway. I'm Adam. I'll be doing the scripture reading today. Today we're going to be reading from Mark 2, 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table at his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners."
Good morning and welcome. My name is Claude and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Uh, excited you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in our series, Questions and Answer. Uh, it's a journey through the beginning part of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, as you just heard, specifically this morning, it's Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And our title is Separation. So Questions and Answer, Separation. Um, I, uh, I had a couple of jobs early on uh, before I went to college, and one of my jobs involved uh, selling um, hardware, like equipment, um, things like drills and screws and um, large cabinets that you store tools in, stuff like that. And uh, I worked off of commission. And so it was a it was a pretty cool gig for what it was, and uh, I had just finished high school, and so I could make some money as I started the the journey towards my collegiate career, and um, I was training, and it was a a moment that kind of marked me in a significant way that I want to share with you today. Uh, I'm standing there, and this person's training me, and all of a sudden, uh, this guy walks up, and he has a suit on, and the manager of the store is there. And the manager says, I just want to let you know, this is officer so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, whatever he needs, you're going to give him. We've had an employee at a different store uh, be arrested this morning. And so uh, he just needs to gather some information for us and please provide him everything he needs. I was like, what in the world? Best first day ever. And so I'm like totally confused and wondering like, what did this guy do? And so all of a sudden, all these sales associates start to kind of gather around. And so this police officer's like, um, well, I can't go into the details very much. I'm just going to explain what it is that he's been accused of and why it is that we made the arrest. Um, he said, so there were several of these stores around and I'm intentionally just not saying the company because I just don't want to, <laughs> but the, there's a whole mess of these stores and, um, and we all work off of commission. And so one of the things that this guy had discovered is that if he purchased something from his store and then went to a different store and returned it, it was still new in the box, never used, but he would get commission for the sale at his store. And so I guess he tried it with some small items and then he started to recruit his family and friends to go out and buy lawnmowers and cabinets and significantly expensive tools. And he's getting all these percentages of commission and they're being returned to all these different stores. Our stores being one of the one, our store was one of the ones that he had returned things to. And so we had to like look up all this stuff and, and tell him. And so everybody's just like in disbelief. They're like, wait, so like if I... If I had something returned to a different store, I would still keep that commission. And he's like, I guess he goes, the, you know, the way to track it is just too cumbersome or whatever. And so you could see some people's wheels turning, but then he was also very quick to be like, but that's why I'm here. Like he was arrested <laughs> and they're like, oh, right, right. Yeah. It's a terrible thing. Like we would never do that. And, um, so he starts totaling it up. And, um, as we're totaling stuff just from our store, it's thousands of dollars, like thousands of dollars that he returned perfectly good items. And in his mind, kind of rationalizing it like, well, I'm just, I'm buying it, but I'm returning it. I'm never using it. But he's stealing, obviously, from the company because he's keeping all of these commissions. And so immediately, as we start to have this number climb, all the employees that are there, including the gentleman that's, that's training me, just starts to be like, what a dirtbag. This is unbelievable. I can't look at how much he was stealing. What a thief. Oh my gosh. And so literally they just start talking bad about him. I mean, you can only imagine a, a completely secular workplace where they're just kind of ramping it up, calling the guy names. One guy's like, I remember him. I met him. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, everybody's freaking out. And uh, 
So the police officer gets whatever information he needs, thanks us, prints some stuff off, and he heads out. And the conversation obviously continues. There's a couple of customers that come up and we deal with them, but they're just the conversation's going on. Um, can't believe this guy steals. It's ridiculous. And so as uh, as we're having this conversation, um, the guy who's training me says, well, we're going to go ahead and, and cut out for lunch a little bit early. So would you mind just uh, punching us out at noon? So it's 11.30 and he's telling one of the other employees to punch us out a half hour later as if we were still there working. And so one of the guys immediately is like, oh yeah, absolutely, no problem, go ahead, have fun. And another guy's like, wait, like you're stealing time. Like you're, you're calling this other guy a thief, but you're stealing time if you're leaving for your lunch a half hour early. And he's like, oh, come on. That's totally different. Like we're not doing what that guy did. Like that dude's a dirtbag. Like this is just obvious. Like we, we leave a little bit early all the time. We do this all the time. So if we normalize it, it's totally fine, right? If we minimize it, if we're not as bad as that guy. And so everybody's just kind of like, whatever. Well, this person seems like kind of annoyed about it. And we start to head away and I'm just going along and and the guy who's sort of annoyed about it is like whatever is grabbing his stuff and starts to head out and he goes and the guy who's training me turns around and goes where are you going and he goes I'm taking my break and he goes you already took a break and he goes yeah I know but I, I usually just take another one now before lunch he's like oh so you just take two breaks and he's like well I always do that and he's like okay well you're just telling me I'm stealing time but you're taking a break you don't deserve and he's like whatever you guys are a bunch of idiots and so then they all laugh it off and everybody goes about stealing and just normalizing it. Because after all, it wasn't as bad as what that guy did. I mean, come on. It's not like the police are going to come and arrest us for punching out a little bit early or leaving for a second break or whatever it is that we need to tell ourselves. The question I want us to ask ourselves as we move through the, the message this morning is why do we sometimes think we're better than someone else? Why do we sometimes think we're better than someone else? It's like we have this tendency to elevate ourselves and push someone else down. Like, we're not as bad as they are. I mean, that guy's a big thief. We're just little tiny thieves. It's not as bad as what they do. And don't worry, I'm not going to, you know, make you admit that you are a, that you're a person that declares yourself better than someone else or that you think you're better than someone else. Um, I mean, I don't have to make you admit it. I know you do it. Like, I know at times you think you're better than other people. And the reason why I know it is because we all think it. We all think it as humans. If you're in denial and you're sitting there this morning and you're kind of convinced like, no, no, I would, I would never do that. I would never be like someone that does that. I'm way better than those people. See the irony there? Like by saying you don't do that, you actually are kind of doing it. But even if you are a super kind person that really truly believes that you're the exception, realize that this human fallen condition reaches beyond the obvious. If you've ever, you know, kind of watched the news or seen on social media or heard someone explain some depraved crime or some, some heinous act of violence, and you've ever thought or even said, I can't believe that. What kind of person does that? If you've ever looked at something so deplorable, and there are deplorable, despicable things that happen in our world. 
and you lean back, you go, oh my gosh, I, I would never do that. Look at that person. Oh my goodness. Then you've done it. You've gotten to that place where you've elevated yourself over someone else. That's, that's what's happening in the moment. You see, this idea that we're better than someone else isn't limited to like the obvious arrogant statements of superiority. No, it's, it's far more subtle. It's far more civilized. Like it can almost seem right sometimes. It's when we make statements or think in our hearts, I would never do what that person did. I mean, I'm not that bad. I'm not that evil. What makes a person do that? And we separate ourselves. We separate ourselves from that other person because in doing so, we make ourselves feel a little better about our own little sins, our little depravity, because look at their large one. And so we just, we separate ourselves. You see, what we're saying in that moment is I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner like they are. I'm not as bad as they are. And so now I know that there are some of us that kind of take a more self-aware stance. And maybe you're sitting there this morning, even as I'm giving that example, and you're saying, no, I... I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm a sinner. And that's good and well that that you have that level of self-awareness. But there's still part of you that says, I'm a sinner. I'm just not as depraved as that person. I'm not as big of a sinner as that person. I mean, I would never. You've done that, right? I mean, sometimes I get angry, but I mean, I would never murder someone. I I mean, sometimes I have issues with my spouse, but I would never have an affair on them. I, I mean, sometimes I dabble in this, but I would never do that. I mean, sometimes I steal some time, but I would never rob my company of thousands of dollars, you know? And so there's all these narratives that we tell ourselves. This self-soothing that we do to to try to minimize what we do and maximize the issues that others have. And in a moment, we kind of take that position of superiority. Listen, we all do this. We all do it in varying degrees, but we all do it. It's a human condition. And in those moments, we're declaring to others or ourselves that we're better than someone else. We try to separate we're better. We don't want to acknowledge our own depravity. That's what it comes down to. We don't want to acknowledge our own depravity. It makes us feel a little better when we look at the worst of other people's lives. Like, look at what they've done. I mean, I'm better than them, of course. You know, this morning's text talks about and addresses this tension We pick up the text with Jesus uh, preaching and teaching yet again. He continually does it over and over again because he's here on mission with a message. And so he's teaching yet again. And then verse 14 picks up and says, And as he passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he, Levi, rose and followed him. 
Jesus is walking along. It says in the, the verse prior that he was beside the sea. So he's beside the sea walking along and he's teaching. He sees a, a booth where a tax collector is and says, come and follow me. Now, there's, there's some things that we have to understand, some context here, so we can really grasp what's taking place. We know this person that's referred to as Levi is actually Matthew. We learn that later on, but why would they call him Levi? Uh, well, we know that Matthew, due to his ability to read and, um, and write both in Aramaic and Greek, very well educated, Beyond that, uh, he knows math. And so that's why he's kind of this, this person that is allowed to be a tax collector. And what I mean by allowed is the Roman government wouldn't just permit anyone to do it. You had to be able to, to be thorough in their language as well as the language of the, um, of the Israelites and to be able to read and write and make transac- transactions. And so we see that this person, Levi, Matthew, is very well educated. In that day... If you were that educated, it meant something. Chances were you were a Levite. Chances were you were a Levite, which would mean that Levi would be a nickname that would make sense. But being a Levite and educated in this manner would also mean that Matthew was being trained as a spiritual leader. You see, the the Levites were priests. It was what their role was. And so they were raised up to be priests. So they were taught to read and write for the purpose of becoming spiritual leaders. And so this makes Matthew even more despised. He's not just disliked because he's a tax collector, and we'll get into that in a moment. He's even more despised because he's been trained to be a spiritual leader and he's using his spiritual education for evil. It's a kick in the teeth. And so the Romans, if you are aware historically at all in in this time, the Romans are oppressors. And so uh, they're actually taxing the people, the, the Jews of the day. And the way that they would be taxed is they would identify people in their community, like Matthew, and they would employ them to be tax collectors. And the way that they would do that is Roman guards would stand guard over them to protect them from their own people because their own people would want to kill them because they're actually taking taxes from their own people and they're overtaxing them. That's how they make money. And the Roman government was cool with it. Take your cut. We'll protect you. As long as you get what's ours to us, get what you need. And so we have this picture of this person that is despised because he's a person in the community. He was raised in the community. Again, a community that's very tight-knit. They, you, you are born, you're raised, and you die in the same community. So everybody knows him. Everybody knows his family. Everybody knows what he should be as a Levite. And instead, he's doing what he's doing for fiscal gain, and he's working for the oppressors, robbing his own people. It's unthinkable. It's beyond really what we can even process. His family would have completely disowned him. He wouldn't be permitted in the synagogue. Everything that he knew his life to be would be over. And he would have exchanged it knowingly for financial gain. I want money. And so he was very wealthy, very wealthy. And uh, as a As we read a little bit more about the story, not only do we understand the immense wealth of Matthew, but we also understand where the location is and why that's key to the story. 
you see beside the sea, means his tax booth is near Simon's house. It's by the sea. It's by the sea near Simon's house. It means that Matthew was the tax collector for Simon's region and specifically there to tax fishermen. (laughs) So you've got to step back and just imagine for a moment the full picture of what's taking place. (laughs) The four current disciples the four that Jesus has walked up to while they're fishing, right? They're holding their nets. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, they're holding their fishing nets and he says, come follow me. And they just drop their nets and they follow him. The four men that are now following Jesus, they're from that region and they're fishermen. It means they know Matthew, they know Levi, and they despise him. They've been overcharged by him. He is a burden to them and their family. Chances are they've known him since he was just a young kid. Maybe they were friends. We don't really know that. But the fact is now they don't like each other. For sure, they don't like each other. So you can only imagine the obvious tension here. (laughs) He walks up and says, come follow me. And Levi decides to follow him. And the other four have got to be like, what? are you doing, Jesus? Nothing you do makes sense, right? Like they've got to be saying that all along the story up until this point. It's just like, they're like, hey, there's a crowd of people at my house. We coming back? He's like, no, we're leaving. What? Like every turn, Jesus does something that makes no sense to them. And so they've got to just be so angry with this dude. I can just picture him following them and the other four being like, I can't believe this. And they just kind of group together and Matthew's there like, I can't stand that dude. (laughs) This is a really big deal. And the reason why that we have to understand in the context of thinking we're better sometimes is Matthew would have considered himself intellectually and fiscally superior to the four other disciples. Like, he would have looked at this as a, as a typical financial decision. He made a decision to exchange a level of uh, poverty for fiscal gain. And so he made a transaction where now he's living in a nice home and has uh, friends that are on the outside, admittedly, but intellectually he's their superior and financially he's their superior. He probably thinks he's better than them. And the four of them, in turn, feel like Matthew is lower than low. In fact, in their society, if a Jewish person were to go into the home of a tax collector, they would be declared unclean. That's how much they were despised. In fact, in certain historical writings, Jews that are in good standing with God are encouraged to lie to tax collectors because they weren't considered people you had to speak the truth to. So it's, it's very clear that the four disciples would think they're better than Matthew. That sure, they could do a lot wrong, but at least they weren't a tax collector. So we have this tension. Everybody thinks they're better than each other. Again, Jesus is being disruptive and counterintuitive. It's huge. What's interesting is I would assume these five men, young men, would think they have absolutely nothing in common. Except what we realize and what they are realizing is that they all need Jesus. 
that could be said of all of us, right? We could really focus on separation and what makes us different, but the reality is we all have one thing in common, a desperate need for Jesus. So Jesus calls and Matthew walks away from it all. This is huge. It's huge because he has accumulated wealth that he has no ability to sustain as a result of walking away from his tax booth. By him walking away from his tax booth, the Roman guard probably would have not been cool with that. It's going to get back to Herod, who's in charge of this, Herod Antipas, who's in charge of that specific region. And he's going to be like, that dude's not coming back. If he thinks he can come back to his uh, toll booth, he's wrong. He can no longer collect taxes for the Roman government. So he's walked away from his financial stability. He is already an outcast from the Jewish people. And so now here he is just throwing caution into the wind and saying, I'm going to follow you. There's something that had to have happened in his heart and mind when he saw the person and work of Jesus that just caused him to say, you're the answer. I'm going to follow you. And so he does. Incredibly, what's the first thing that Matthew does after this major life decision? Well, verse 15, it says, And he reclined at a table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Matthew throws a party. In the midst of this huge life decision, now based on the setup of the table, the way they're reclining, all of that, we realize that Matthew is a wealthy person that has a large home, and that would make perfect sense. The tax collectors were very well-to-do because they were stealing. And so he throws a party to get all of the people he knows in the same room with Jesus. Immediately, Matthew becomes missional. It's amazing. And I think we have something to learn and to consider. But get this, as he's sitting there gathering all of these people that need to hear from Jesus, I'm sure the disciples had to be so put off by this whole thing unfolding. But the one thing that we understand is the spiritual leaders of the day are present, looking into the home. That's how closely they're kind of watching and observing this new rabbi, Jesus. So much so that as they gather around, they declare that they, I mean, they don't like it. It's interesting that Matthew could be so transformed. And instead of the spiritual people of the day being like, oh my gosh, how in the world would, would Levi, would Matthew just lay everything down and come back to following a rabbi? Instead of considering the possibility that a life has been transformed, instead of considering the reality of something that's being unfolded in their life, they, they just don't like what they see. And it blinds them to what's actually taking place. Verse 16 says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do that? I'm not okay with that. <laughs> They're right outside the door. They're near enough to be able to call the disciples aside and say, what is he doing? This is not okay. They're confused. Jesus is a teacher rising in fame, right? That's what the text has told us in weeks prior. Why would he lower himself to be with sinners and tax collectors? What they're saying is, 
Jesus is better than those that he's with. They're looking at the disciples and they're saying he should separate himself from them. He's better than they are. The disciples probably agreed with them. They'd probably be like, I don't know. We're just as confused as you are. Like, we all hate Matthew, right? <laughs> like, they're probably confused by the whole dynamic unfolding in front of them. And so it's interesting. The scribes of the Pharisees would think that they're better than the disciples and the sinners and the tax collectors. The, the tax collectors would think that they're better intellectually and fiscally than the disciples and everyone else. And in turn, so we have this room of people that are just all thinking they're better than one another. And the scribes are saying, hey, does Jesus know he's better than them? Why is he there? We don't like this. We like it more in a hierarchy. We like it more when there's separation. And verse 16 says, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. I came to call the sinners. You see, Everyone there thinks they're better than someone else. And Jesus is saying, you're all in the same boat. You're all spiritually sick. You're all equals. You're all broken. Flies right over the scribes' heads. They're not okay with the innuendo. They're not all right with this idea. They, as human, as we are human, are trying to create separation. And Jesus is letting them know They have way more in common than they realize. They're all spiritually sick. We are all sinners. Sin separates us from God. Whether it's a big sin, an obvious sin, or a little sin, or a private sin. Sin separates us from God. And we can't be good enough to repair that relationship. We can never do enough good to come into right standing with God. It all falls short until Jesus paid our penalty. He bridged the gap when he hung on the cross and died, when he lived the perfect sinless life and died the death that we deserve. Through his death and his resurrection, now, if we would just listen to what it is that he's preaching and teaching at every turn, if we would just repent and believe, we could be set free. But it starts with us realizing the spiritual sickness that we have inside, the depravity of our own heart and our own mind. Listen, the goal is not separation, but transformation. The goal is not separation, but transformation. God, I don't want to separate myself from those that need you as much as I need you. Instead, would you transform my heart so that I see the brokenness of their lives, that I realize that that what you have done for me, you're equipping me so that I can be your hands and feet, so that I can love the unlovable, that I can extend grace and mercy the way you've extended grace and mercy to me. It's not about separation. The kingdom of God is counterintuitive. It's about transformation. You see, when we separate, we create prejudice. When we separate ourselves, we create a prejudice. And I know that there's connotations that come with the word prejudice, that our mind immediately goes to to racism and all of that. And that's fine that it goes there. 
because that is a problem. Obviously, when we separate ourselves from others, we can have racist thoughts, but it's larger than that. Prejudice is much larger than that. You see, we can have prejudice towards people socially. We just don't want to interact with them. They're weird. They're old. They're awkward. They're young. They're the wrong political party. Oh, you know, you know what those people think? Oh my gosh. Oh, you talk to one of them? The list goes on, right? That's prejudice. That's us separating. That's you putting yourself in a different circle. How about socioeconomically? We just get enamored by the wealth of others or we get troubled by our own financial situation or circumstances. The list goes on. I mean, it's, it's a problem. Prejudice happens when we separate. I'm better than them. Or they're better than me. Both lies. Both lies. Jesus levels the playing field. Not by saying, try to accept each other. Listen, hey, be nice. Jesus doesn't get up and say, hey, guys, shake hands. Matthew, I know you stole from them. Say you're sorry. Simon, come here. Say I forgive you. Hug it out, boys. <laughs> like He's not doing anything to try to manipulate them or to change their behavior. He's saying, will you just come and be in my presence? Will you allow the love of God and the grace awarded to you to transform your heart? You see, we find our equality in our need for a savior. We find our equality in a need for a savior. We are all sinners. The one thing we have in common is that we desperately need Jesus. The one thing we have in common is that we desperately need Jesus. He is the answer. Like, I'm all for education. I'm all for clarity of communication, conversations, people sitting down together. I think those are all healthy things, but I think our society is showing us that the answer doesn't come by common conversation. And although dialogue is important, ultimately the answer is Jesus. That's the answer. The answer is Jesus to transform the wickedness of our own heart and to experience the grace and mercy that he has given us because it's only in that moment that we can award it to the people that are aggressive towards us. We aren't better than anyone else. We just aren't. But here's the deal. You aren't less than anyone else either. We are all sinners saved by grace. And if we repent and believe we can be set free. We have prejudices and we want separation. The answer is Jesus because he will transform us. The cross is the equalizer because Jesus is the answer. We say every week that the text requires something of us and it can be really easy to come out of this week and be like, all right, I'm going to be a better person. Yeah, it is. It's ridiculous. I, I think I do maybe have some prejudices in my heart towards different people uh, financially or because of my boss or because they do things different or whatever it might be. So we're just going to make sure we, we stop that. We're going to be a little bit more like Jesus. We're going to control our behavior in front of others. But our heart is still wicked inside. And so the, the question I want you to consider 
as we look at this application is this. What prejudices do I need to ask forgiveness for? What prejudices do I need to ask forgiveness for? Is it against a specific people group or a coworker that you just don't have patience for? Or someone that has done a big public sin and we're so angry at that, but we have a small private one that we don't want to talk about. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to consider the areas of prejudice that you have in your heart and mind and just say, Lord, would you forgive me of that? Would you transform my heart? Would you renew my mind? For you this morning, maybe the first step is to say, I can't save myself. I've thought that I was better than others. I've continually just thought I was better. And as a result, I've been the leader of my own life instead of surrendering to Jesus. If you want to surrender to Jesus this morning and come into right relationship with him, acknowledge the sin that you have committed and the fact that Jesus has paid that price. It's as simple as praying a prayer wherever you find yourself right now. And you can simply admit, Lord, I am a sinner, but you died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. It can be that simple to begin this relationship. And I want to challenge you if you've prayed that prayer this morning. If you just, if you're live, click on the link to talk to a host and it'll go into a private chat where you can understand next steps as you continue in that journey. If it's later on, please reach out, email us. We'd love to walk alongside you in this journey. For others of you this morning, I want you to consider places that maybe you've elevated yourself. You've looked down on others or you have belittled yourself and you've looked up to others in unhealthy ways. Have you looked down on others ethnicity-wise or have you felt like others have treated you unfairly because of your ethnicity? Are there political dynamics that are at play? Do you treat people differently because of their education or their perceived lack of education? Their financial status? The list goes on. We're all guilty of some variation of it, but would you as a Christ follower, if you've crossed that line of faith, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and consider the areas of prejudice that maybe you have? You have to say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you transform my heart so that I can extend grace and mercy to others? For others of you, maybe you're in that rhythm. Maybe you have crossed the line of salvation and you're in a rhythm daily to just consider the areas of your life that you ought not consider yourself greater. To you, I want to challenge you to be more missional, maybe like Matthew. When was the last time you gathered people far from God and tried to just get them into proximity to Jesus? Whether that is in a relationship or maybe it means hosting a, a watch party at your home and just opening up your home to say, listen, I want to get some people in front and it doesn't have to be me. This isn't about Centerway or Claude Valdez. It's about the furtherance of the gospel. So maybe it's another communicator that you know preaches the gospel that you would get them together and say, hey, I want you to, to listen to this. Maybe it's a spiritual conversation. There are a lot of ways that the Lord's speaking to you, but I want to challenge you to just hear the Holy Spirit this morning, and to respond. Don't allow a message to just come and go. Be transformed by the preaching of the word that we would be different as a result of having an encounter with the living God. In fact, let's pray as we close together. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would begin a transformation in our heart. 
that you would point out the areas that we don't, we don't want to talk about. We don't want to consider that maybe we're depraved. We don't want to, to consider sin issues. Lord, we, we don't want to come face to face with the reality that we distance ourselves from some people that, that maybe we think we're better than others. But Lord, I pray that you would just put your finger on our heart this morning, that you would shed light into the dark corners and recesses, Father, that you'd convict our hearts, Lord, that we would be representations of who you are because you've transformed our hearts and that we would embrace maybe what's perceived to be the unlovables for your glory, God, that we would be on mission with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to continue to pray for you and believe that God's going to provide opportunity for you to go into conversations and uh, relationships with people that really need to hear someone that loves them, that extends grace and mercy to them. So we'll see you next week as we continue in our series, Questions and Answer. Hi, I'm Meredith. Thanks for joining us this morning. That was such a great message, and I'm so thankful for how the Word of God challenges and transforms us. You know, the Holy Spirit is a faithful teacher and doesn't want us to stay in sin. So I want to encourage you to spend time asking what prejudices you need to ask forgiveness for. And I'm really confident that He's going to show you. And not only will it bring you freedom, but will also have ripple effects into your spheres of influence. So continue to view your response as an act of worship. And remember that there are many other ways to respond in worship this week as well. One way that we get to worship together is through singing, which we're about to do if you're with us live. If you're watching or listening to the message later, you can find the songs we're about to sing on Spotify. Just search Centerway Church and look for our questions and answer playlist. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.